What's up, everybody? Welcome to the world's best podcast with Jack and Reno. I'm Jack. And I'm Reno. And we're two dudes in our mid-20s who don't know shit, but are doing our best to figure this life thing out. We are so glad to have you along for the ride. Let's get it fired up! Hey, everybody. We got a great episode for you today. We bringing on our friend Madison Butler as the guest. He's got some cool insights. He's got a pretty cool job where he works in the medical industry for bandages for gunshot wounds. Check that out. All right, everybody. Enjoy. Hello. Yo, what up? Not much. What's up with you? Uh, party people. Oh, you know, <clears throat> just eating a little breakfast, a little noon, a little hydration drink. Oh, yeah. It's noon already over there. Uh, well, it's 1030, but there's the, the hydration tab is called noon, like N-U-U-N. Oh. oh you ever heard gotcha. of those? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's, uh, it's like, you ever heard of liquid IV? No. I, oh. no yeah. Is this just like electrolytes or a hydrating thing? Or? Oh, it's electrolytes. Stuff yeah. the plants crave. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. like, I don't. Aren't electrolytes just like, like literally just ions, like calcium and potassium? Like, isn't it all just like you could get it from like table salt? I've always been confused about that. I have no idea. Actually. Hello, hello, hello. What hello. up, Jack? What up, dude? We're talking about electrolytes, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how electrolytes work. I don't understand the science. I've never really looked into it. So I just, but they say it's good and then I drink it. So, (laughs) (laughs) and then they say there's vitamins in it and I go, great. And then I pay more for it and then drink it and then assume it does something for me. But it really, I have no idea. (laughs) I, I, this is what I know about electrolytes. Again, also no idea about how they work, but for a hangover, salt and electrolytes are key. Dude. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's because the salt, I think salt just is an electrolyte. I think electrolytes are just like little ions, you know, mm-hmm. how it's like sodium chloride. It's just like the chloride is an ion. Oh, an electrolyte. really? Oh, my, my cat is being mischievous. Let me deal with this. <laughs> bumping my mic. Yeah. Oh, classic cat. Yeah. I don't know what the electrolyte thing. I don't really know what that's all about, but uh, I like it. So I'm going to do, let's do a quick intro here. So, yeah. To all of our listeners, we got one of our buddies here, Madison Butler, on the mic. Here he is. A little introduction. He, uh, so we met him as well. I met Madison in college, Oregon State, but uh, I believe you and Jack met in high school at least a little bit, right? Yeah. We knew each other in high school and then we weren't really friends. We just sort of knew each other. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, like you know, we ended up in the same fraternity. Yeah. I remember when, I, when you guys first well, I met you both, you were both like looked at each other like, we brought this nerd. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, we really were sizing each other up like, oh, this motherfucker. I was like, oh, this motherfucker. Yeah. I just. <laughs> Wait, that motherfucker. We had the exact same, but opposite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, it turned out real great. And then we all, and then, yeah, we all lived together for a yeah. year in another house, which was one of the best living situations I've ever been in. Dude. It still is. Yeah. Honestly. Honestly, it's hard to beat the ice house. It's hard to beat the ice house. But before before it we get is. into that, let me just, Master, would you just give our, our listeners a little bit of intro about, uh, I know you're you're in Portland, um, but go ahead and give them a little intro about what you do. I think it's pretty interesting. 
Yeah, so I'm a research associate for a town, or sorry, for a, a company downtown called Tricol uh, Biomedical. It was one of those, it's a company that got started um, in the early aughts from the Afghanistan war, actually, because uh, they needed, a, there was just an opportunity, I guess, in the market for more more effective bandages for gunshot wounds, like seriously bleeding wounds. Mm-hmm. And so um, the scientists at Trico, I wasn't around back then, obviously. But um, I mean, I was around, I was just tiny, not doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, uh, they sort of found this way to incorporate um, chitosin, which comes from shrimp shell. We take ours from Icelandic shrimp shell mm-hmm. into uh, a bandage. And that bandage is just like the stickiest thing you've ever seen when it touches blood. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so I'm a research associate. I design new bandages. I'm working on several projects for like surgeries and more general use right now. But it's it's really fun work. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. I like that I'm like doing chemistry regularly, but also thinking about the uh, like the hospital implications of all of it. If that makes sense. Wait, so how are these? What do these bandages look like? Do they just look like a big piece of gauze that you just like throw on it? It just adheres immediately, or what's is it like liquid bandage? Yeah, it's solid. It's not, uh, so we have gauze. We have gauze and um, like less fluffy materials. The stuff I'm working on is more like, it's like microns thin. And um, yeah, you just sort of like push it against the wound and it just sort of instantly becomes sticky to it. And yeah, sort of like, I don't know, the the blood instantly seeps in. So it becomes very like soggy. This is probably gross details, but (laughs) it's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's solid. So what do you use to test these bandages on? Like, do you have like a big pool of blood or do you use an alternative for blood? You just like shoot one of your coworkers and then (laughs) the bandage on them, see if it works. Uh, yeah, so we do a couple different test methods. It's funny because the reason I got the job was because my senior project in college was um, making a, a bandage for geriatric patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually did that project with Lot and Jim. Mm-hmm. And um, the way we tested like the, adhes- the adhesivity was just to, like stick it to my arm and see how long it would take to fall off. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing better things, thank God. But, um, <laughs> Sounds like so a senior project. We, now- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So now we, um, we take a like, pig's, uh, pig's stomach because the project is revolving around um, the, ga- the gastric system. Mm-hmm. And we cut up just a little chunk of it. This is going to get gross. Mm-hmm. And then we either just see how it adheres to that and with um, sort of gastric solution washing over mm-hmm. it, like how it would be in the stomach after surgery. Mm-hmm. Or we uh, sort of make a hole below the stomach mm-hmm. and make pressure with blood. So like literally just having like a tank of blood that flows down and because of the height difference, it creates a pressure which pushes up on the bandage that you're testing. So you do literally have buckets of blood in there that you're just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have we have blood stains on the ceiling. <laughs> so anyway, you're you're working in Dexter's like uh, Dexter's little yeah. lab or what? Not the cartoon, but Pretty the much. murder serial killer one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm the stuff that happens before Dexter gets there. <laughs> okay. like. Well, Dexter is there, like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like, what <laughs> sort of atrocities were committed here? Yeah, he's appalled. So what, um, okay, so you're using, wait, you're so using pig's stomach for what? Yeah, yeah, we use pig's stomach. Um, that's, the, like, the tissue. So we're testing it on, like, you know, on tissues, and we're interested mm-hmm. in doing sort of internal surgery um, projects. So we have to know how it sticks onto stomach, basically. Really? So you, yeah, because we're not, it's not like skin. It's not, we're not trying this on outside of people. 
Oh, these are bandages for. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is like a surgery environment. Oh, okay. Because you have the gunshot mm-hmm. wound bandage now that'll stick to the outside skin and blood and everything. But you're trying to make something for yeah. surgical equipment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they had already figured that out mm-hmm. by the you know the tens or whatever. So now I'm working on more specific niche stuff for specific yeah specific. Stuff. So is it still like is the goal still military for this or is it going to be uh, just any hospital that'll use it basically? Yeah, the big the big people we sell to are hospitals and military. Okay. This is more ho- hospital than military, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What's the shrimp deal? You talked about you said that you harvest shrimp, and there's is there some chemical in any shrimp that yeah. make it adhesive? Yeah, the um, the classic material that like makes all these crustaceans really hard is chitin. It's this. Uh, it's a polymer. Um, and it's just a, you know, it's a series, it's a long chain mm-hmm. and, uh, we deacetylate it into chitosan, which is just, and the reason, the real reason why, like, this is a worthy process mm-hmm. compared to other processes is just cause there's a, like a freaking massive amount of chitin mm-hmm. in the world. And it's one of the most abundant polymers with uh, cellulose. So if you want to make something out of mm-hmm. it, there's, it's cheap to get basically. Oh, okay. And we figured out a really easy way to use it. So yeah, it was like a market availability kind of. Like mm-hmm. there's the resource and there's the need. Mm-hmm. So it got created that way. Wow. That's killer. Dude, you know, so something really interesting I read about in this book, The Bodybuilders, they talked about pigs as well. And they talked about using... <laughs> Just somehow like always you managed to like transition to this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people are probably tired of hearing from it. Dude, it's so cool though. Okay, so they had this guy... Who he pull he takes like pig intestine and I guess there's some there's some chemical that activates the stem cells in your body, and mm. so he he takes this pig intestine and he just like grinds it up and makes it this dust he calls it, like pixie dust, and uh, and so this guy he like cut off his finger like the tip of his finger like below the nail, and um, and he, and he couldn't find his like other his chunk, <laughs> and so he couldn't get stitched back on. But he he contacted the scientist that was like he was using pig intestine to just rapidly heal people's like entire organs basically, and um, and so the guy sent him the dust. He sprinkled it on his finger, like he kind of kind of cut it up again or whatever. <laughs> so it was an open wound. He sprinkled the just basically pig intestine in there, and his whole finger grew back. What? Yeah. <laughs> this, the, the, this I'm this I'm skeptical on this story. Dude, I'm look it up. They, he named yeah. he named the full on the dudes that exist. They have their full names in there. It's like yeah, he has a company <laughs> that he starts where he like uses he uses it. And dude, it was crazy. And uh, he said that the fingernail on that finger that grew back grows faster because it's only like five years old, <laughs> and all the what other the ones hell? are like fifty years old. That's really weird. I, is this the sort of thing that, like, we're just going to see this happen over and over until someone formalizes the process? And, like, I don't know. like shouldn't we be seeing this in hospitals and that's... clinical trials instead of just some dude in his <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Probably. See, that's what I'm saying. I think, I don't know. Well, you remember back in, like, all I remember was, like, the Bush era. It's, this has nothing to do with Bush, but in the Bush era, it's, like, people come out with stem cells and then you can only give them from like babies or something. So they were like, or appalled by stem cells and then just completely stopped the science. And so maybe that is why it hasn't reached the mainstream medicine yet. It's like people are still nervous about the idea of stem cells. Yeah. I don't know what that regulation looks like. I imagine it's pretty strict. I'm seeing some conflicting sources on the internet. 
no. about what the pig about the pixie your dust? thing about your pixie dust. What is it, what's it saying? This one says this is the Guardian, and it says regrown finger is junk science, and it talks about. Yeah, a leading plastic surgeon today dismissed claims that a powder made from pig's bladder caused the regrowth of a man's fingertip. Oh, no. But, oh, oh, no. but this next article article on Esquire says, a doctor, a pig, and a magical pixie dust that could regrow fingers. And it says, <laughs> uh, this could be the medical breakthrough of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so maybe it's just like a really small nubbin, you know? Like mm-hmm. he didn't make the full finger come back, so maybe that's why it's getting dismissed. You know, like that's only half a nail, really. <laughs> yeah, like that. it wasn't. So it was above the joint, I think. Like it didn't grow the joint back, so maybe that's why people oh. are excited about it. But it grew the bone and stuff. <laughs> that's what I'm seeing. So, but that's what, is it is it junk or is it like the most revolutionary science we've ever come up with? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> You gotta get more into like marketing, you know. <laughs> if you can, sw- if you can flip that, I think you can flip anything. Yeah. Listen, some people tell you this is complete trash. I'm here to tell you it's not, and it's actually <laughs> the best thing for your patients since penicillin. <laughs> yeah, have you, you guys uh, have you guys heard about uh, Elon? Like, right about Elon Musk's Neuralink company at all? Oh no, I've been really worried about that, so I haven't looked. <laughs> I haven't looked into it. Oh dang! Because well. God, you guys are great people to have a conversation about this with. But he talks about it on uh, the most recent time he was on Joe Rogan, which mm-hmm. is really all I know about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. But the basic premise is like he'll cut a like you cut like a nickel or quarter size hole in your skull, right? Mm-hmm. And then you and you like put this like you know like computer chip right where that hole of your skull is, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're effectively like all the treatments that he describes it for are like um, he's saying like the most effective one that they think that they have is like for seizures, right? Like the electrical signals in the brain prior to a seizure are really obvious and you Mm. can like send the reverse signals out with this thing. Right. So it's like effectively you have something to fuck with your brain, but it's not like, you know, it's like increasing your thinking capacity or anything like that. It's just like, or, like, there's, like, some stuff they can do for, like, Alzheimer's, too, apparently. That, again, just, like, they see these signals, and then they just, like, send out the opposite signal to, like, counteract it. That's so, crazy. it's, like, it's it's really a – it's not, what? like, as cyborg-y as it so sounds, I, you know? I thought it was to be able to communicate thoughts. Is it also that? Or is that just, like, oh, one day that'd be cool if it could do that? Yeah, that's nowhere near the level of okay. where Neuralink is at. Okay. That's... Now, it's just like it is the most basic diseases and things like that. Yeah. That that are that are like brain diseases that are e- easily recognizable with an electrical signal, and then like mm-hmm. you'll send an, a signal out to like counteract it. Yeah. Well, that's still that's so cool. That's still amazing. <laughs> that's still yeah. incredible. Interesting. Was there a reason he announced that? Like, why is it ready to go in some capacity, or what's? Yeah, like those that? really simple solutions, I think, are pretty close. That's so cool. That's awesome. Huh. So wait, so people with Alzheimer's, they can get this chip. How good does it cure it? Did he talk about that? Like, Dude, I, so I can't even remember if Alzheimer's was like one of the diseases he mentioned. Oh. I know for sure seizures, but I don't know how well it would. So I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. See, I, they're going to do so many dystopian things. I feel like with that concept, mm-hmm. like, 
I mean, like, I don't, you guys have a more positive view of Musk, I think, than I do. But, like, someone somewhere is going to do something very creepy with that concept. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're just going to get, I feel like the end result is just advertising being drip fed into our brains. Something like that. It's the most boring possibility, which I feel like makes it the most likely. You know, it's just advertising. Advertising. Just Shane Co. Yeah, and you just go, constantly. you're like, hmm, I just really want Ben and Jerry's ice cream recently. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you guys gotten ads for, like, things you've talked about? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that stuff is horrifying. I hate that. Dude, it's so quick now. It used to take, like, a day. You know, like I mentioned, like, yeah, oh, yeah. like, I would say the word Nike shoes. And then I'm going to get the, that ad in, like, two minutes now. But it would take 24 hours. Dude, here's how good it is. I hate literally went and i was just talking to um one of my buddies about food and then i got an ad for like pizza near me within minutes like they yeah. are they're so quick on it to just the second you want something companies want to know it and they want to position themselves immediately yeah. the best one was after you sent me those uh or after your dad gave us all those bombas socks or whatever mm -hmm. dude my all my feeds have been showing up with ads for Bomba's socks. Are you serious? Like, everywhere. Yeah, I've never heard of the socks before. You know, everywhere I've seen ads for Bomba's socks. They're really blowing up. My dad. Some of it is so weird. Like, you don't even say anything, and it just appears. I, yeah, it boggles my mind. Like, I've gone to Fred Myers and bought, like, crackers, mm -hmm. and not said, like, I wasn't on the phone. I didn't text about my, you know, my freaking crackers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no, like, publicity of it. And I got ads for the exact same kind of crackers. How does it work? Dude, how does it work? Dude, I... Oh, that's a great question. I want to know so bad how the fuck I figure this shit out. Yeah. It's amazing. I think a lot of it is Amazon because Amazon does a lot of data analytics and data harvesting. And I think they like buy a lot of it and then make it usable to other companies. Mm. You know? I guess that makes sense. I think Amazon. Like who's... Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. But like, but like sometimes it feels like I didn't even buy anything off of Amazon or anything like that. Like how Madison's saying where he didn't even talk to anybody or... Mm -hmm go on the phone tell anybody and these crackers showed up yeah yeah well, that's what i mean like, is... are they yeah go ahead Matthew. so i got a question are they are they just using our mic like i think they use your phone mic? mic it's just bizarre to me like are they just constantly recording that and then constantly picking out keywords and being like oh we talked about you know crackers <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just i don't know does that not strike you as like insane that, like, it's whatever, absolutely what I... how is that legal how is that allowed in any capacity i have no idea how that's allowed it like, seems very weird that this is not like a, one of their biggest issues right now <laughs> but dude, i guess there's a lot of like, shit going on right now well also the, they don't need to like they don't need to, you to hear you say i am hungry i want crackers they can just stitch information together they can be like right. oh recently so they could be like oh well his last credit card charge at you know trader joe's or fred meyer was you know a week ago i bet he's running out of food he's probably hungry and traditionally he buys food you know this charges on sundays and like oh it's later in the day and like oh he also buys a lot of crackers and then they go bam crackers like they don't need to like yeah, the information they need right. doesn't even need to be direct like it doesn't even they just need like just little little tidbits and then they stitch it together to, to somehow to figure out exactly what you want it's bizarre yeah. It yeah, is, it is I would better. be very interested to know in what data they're getting from us, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, has Apple approved the use of my mic to send data to Amazon to collect to send it to Fred Myers or whatever? Mm -hmm. Well, it's like the location thing. It's like, you know, you can choose to always allow or only while you're, uh, 
using the app, mm-hmm. and it's it's like I when you choose only while using the app, it's like the app never functions as well as if you just choose like always allow. Mm-hmm. So it's like if they always allow, it's like every single app can just like have data of where you are at all the times. Dude, yeah. I listened to this video of Edward Snowden, uh, which he's still, you know, he's still kicking. <laughs> he's still doing his thing. But he, uh, he, he talked about it and he goes, he goes, everyone always knows your location. If you have a cell phone, it doesn't matter what you've selected in your settings. He's like, if you have a cell phone, that cell phone's connecting to two towers to triangulate your location. He goes, that's, they always know where you are. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. are, we, are we talking like Orthunk and the Dark Tower from Lord of the Rings, those two towers? Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are the exact two towers. Yeah. Exact... It, feels, it feels like an appropriate parallel. Dude, how funny would that be if when they were naming like, AT&T's building towers, like, what do we name these? <laughs> Call them or they'll just start naming stuff for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, God. yeah. I don't know. It's so sweet, <laughs> yeah, dude. I think I think with a lot of, I don't know. I never consider my privacy too important. Like I'll be honest, uh, most of the stuff I'm like, yeah, you can kind of just know any of it. I mean, I'm, I may have a podcast and I just tell people about my life, so it's like clearly I don't. <laughs> I tell everyone where I live, and then I go on Instagram and tag <laughs> my physical location. Like it wouldn't even. <laughs> You don't, even need, you don't even need to be smart to figure out what I think and where I am. <laughs> yeah. You like the grid. Yeah. I'm beyond the grid sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Plug me in, baby. <laughs> What's the quote that's like saying – what is it? God, I'm going to look it up real quick. But it's like it's like saying that you have – that you don't care about your privacy because you have nothing to hide is like uh, – fuck, how does it go? I'll, I'll find it. Yeah. Say, it's like saying that you have nothing – It's 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 like – all right, you guys keep talking. I'll, I'll look. This okay, <laughs> sounds good. I okay. get that sentiment though. Like, yeah, even if you don't care about privacy, I don't know. It's sort of a community thing too, right? Like, you got to be aware because you understand that other people like privacy, of course, mm-hmm. you know, and like, oh, so it's yeah. like still like an important concept to like be aware of. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, like personally, like all this advertising stuff, more so than it being an an, an invasion of privacy, which is totally true. But I, I'm like you, Reno. I don't really care about that. Um, it's it's more just like why are they spending all the effort doing this Mm -hmm. this is just such a waste of humanity right like (laughs) all these smart people in advertising just perfecting Mm -hmm. this algorithm that tells fred Myers when you want crackers it's Mm -hmm. useless Mm -hmm. it's just a waste of like human resources right yeah you know so i think it's i think it's useful in the terms of that company wanting to raise their profits but i think it's a bad here's where i'm with you is they have the smartest people in the world developing that i'm like Dude, they literally at Twitter they have neuroscientists that study <laughs> the the sound when you when you pull the little feed down it goes cuckoo or like bloop at the top. Neuro, like the smartest people, like brain scientists in the world, discovered that was the best and most addicting sound. Uh, I'm like, these people are so smart. They could be doing like throw them in the medical field or throw them in the technology field and get that neural link going or I don't know. Get this pixie yeah, dust it's, a reality. Yeah. It's depressing. It's yeah. like, I don't, yeah, it's just a weird allocation of resources, I feel like. Yeah. All right, here's the quote. Arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different than saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. Edward Snowden. So the second time he's actually uh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's like saying you don't care about freedom of speech because you have nothing to say. 
Right. Mm -hmm. Like you should conserve that right for when it's important, I guess is the point there. Um, or like just because you don't have anything to say. Doesn't mean others don't. Others don't. And it's like, yeah, at least for freedom of speech, it's like if you don't allow freedom of speech, it's like whoever the whoever's has power for the day gets to control all the conversations that are had, you know? Yeah. And so it's like things that are, that challenge the status quo are just mm -hmm. going to be like, I mean, it's happened in the past. You just get arrested for that shit. I mean, I could yeah. see if you want to go 1984 on it, this is where it would be an issue is when is literally when the government just listens in and is just listening for admissions of guilt or they listen to, they, they collect data until they have enough data to believe, you know, that you are 90% likely to commit a crime or something. And then they arrest you before you commit the crime. That could be a real dysto dystopian Orwellian future right there. If the police yeah. were collecting all this data, which I'm sure it's in, to, you know, a little bit of credit they are, I'm sure. But that's where I'd be worried because, I mean, there's definitely like illegal things that I do. Like I, if you want at the lowest form, I used to buy illegal fireworks in Washington and then go light those off on the Oregon beach <laughs> You know, that's like the lowest form of crime, but yeah, I mean, and here's I, a I big, want them knowing that. and here's a big, and a big issue with that is that it's like people can make those kind of laws being very well intentioned, you know, like they might not want to just like exploit humanity, but they just, you know, they're like, Hey, we really need to lower crime rate, you know? Mm -hmm. And right. so like, this is the best way. So it's like, and all you, if you, all you have to do is convince the majority of people, which is you get somebody charismatic that's doing it. It's like people vote more based on emotion than they do based on logic or reason. So it mm -hmm. seems. Um, yeah. And so it's like when you have, when you just have this available, which is no right to privacy for anybody and you can make the people okay with that. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, then it just takes one person to come along and start just exploiting the shit out of it. Mm -hmm. And then by then it's like, it's really hard to roll it backwards. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. You don't even need a majority, I think. Like, I mean, most American elections, the presidential elections are carried by like a third of the country at most, right? It's just like you get one particular third involved and suddenly you can get a person in that does whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't, even, you don't even need the majority. You just need the majority of the people that are actually voting. So yeah, exactly. Turn up to vote. It's like. Isn't that like 40% of Americans even are registered or something crazy like that? Something sad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, so here's the, here's, the, here's the weird mentality behind that. And I'm sure you've heard people say this, but the people will say, oh, like, why pitch in? You know, why should I say something? Or why should I vote when I'm just like one person and it's not going to affect anything? And uh, I think that logic chain makes so much sense, which is why people fall into it. But I, I think that's what everybody thinks. But, but if you get enough people behind that vote and movement, then it changes everything. But the thing is, you can't wait for everybody to be changing. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, right. you need to, I don't know, this is what I think about, like, like I think I might just vote for Joe Jor uh, Jorgensen. She's the libertarian candidate. I might just vote right. for her because, uh, I don't know, just I like, I like her policies a lot. And people are like, oh, dude, you're just throwing your vote away. Like, you know, you're like clearly no one but a Republican or Democrat can win. But the way I think about that is, well, if I vote for people who I don't want, then it'll just that'll continue to happen. 
if we all think, oh, yeah. we have no power, you know, I'm just one voice. It's like, well, yeah. The illusion the of choice. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. And then, then nothing will change. And then we'll, you know what I mean? Like, you, you make changes by starting small and starting with yourself. You know what I mean? And then you just tell people what you're doing. You don't have to be some giant change agent. Just start doing something different. Tell people what you're doing. They might get along with it, yeah. you know? Yeah, you got to be a role model for sure. I appreciate that. It's sort of like the difference between like utilitarian and um, what is it called? Like moral absolutism, I think. Like Kantian ethics. You should define. You, you should define both of those <laughs> for our listeners yes. and also me. <laughs> so, uh, and I might be getting it wrong. I think it might be something else other than moral absolutism. But that is like you do something, or Kantian ethics is when you do something because you know that particular action is always correct or incorrect. So, like stealing, lying. Mm-hmm. These are like things you don't do because those are bad right mm-hmm. with a capital b mm-hmm. whereas like utilitarian um ethics are more like oh like if you punch that person it will stop greater violence so therefore mm-hmm. that is the correct position mm-hmm. so it's like the ends justify the means sort of rhetoric versus like do something because it's the right thing mm-hmm. naturally sort of rhetoric so mm-hmm. like i don't know I, I i think for the most part i'm a utilitarian for the most part, I think about like what are the outcomes, and then mm-hmm. do do it according to that. But for some things, like you have to think about, uh, I don't know, like what signal it sends to the community, right? Like what you're talking about. So if you want to actually have a change, then you have to signal to other people before it will happen. So mm-hmm. like you gotta vote for the third party that you care about because the, otherwise, no one will ever think that that's an opportunity. You know, you gotta have those leaders. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, just balancing those two concepts, right? I think, yeah, I think comparing, yeah, I mean, I think comparing those two, I think both of those philosophies can exist at the same time and can be used in different ways and in more nuanced conversations, because I think we could get really wrapped around the axle about the idea of like, oh, should you always stand up for what you know is right and wrong? Or should you consider the utility of sacrificing, you know, one, one moral for the greater good or something? You know what I mean? Like you you could argue those all day, but I think that they're applied in different nuanced conversations. You know what I mean? Like when would you be more utilitarian? I think that's totally right. Yeah, exactly. Just different situations to call for different things. Yeah. I mean, if it was a zombie apocalypse, I would be utilitarian. I just, I would, (laughs) there'd be a lot of principles, you know, I'd be like, like I'm pretty against murder, but if it, I was zombie apocalypse, (laughs) I think things would change. Murder and stealing would be very different. One thing, one thing I like to do, like when I'm thinking about like those moral absolutes, like if you say murder is always wrong 100% of the time, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, it's, I try to conceptualize a scenario where I would feel like murdering was the morally right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Right. For example, right. Like, um, say like, say, uh, Say there was a guy that would had kidnapped all of my family and was torturing all of them. He was working alone. He didn't have any like partners or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I and this guy had a. There was no question that this guy was going to continue to go after my family until he ceased to exist. He'd be like, okay, well, this murder seems kind of justified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I would not bat an eye. To mm-hmm. murder a motherfucker like that you know mm-hmm. but uh so it's like so i don't know it's just one of my fate it's like it's one of my uh, the exercise i do in my head like what's a scenario that i would 
commit this act. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sometimes it's really difficult. And but usually I can come up with some most like absolutely preposterous scenario, which mm-hmm. is like never likely to happen. But it's still like okay, so like if you assume it's all like on a scale, it's like well, where does the scale lie? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah, only yeah. only a Sith works in absolutes. Right. I that that phrase has always baffled me because it is an absolute. So it's like, Obi-Wan, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. always confused me. I, I always I always wondered if that was like if someone made a whole fan theory around Obi-Wan secretly being a Sith Lord just around that one sentence. I can yeah. see it happening. That's something someone bored would do. But Dude, I would love I that. I would love that if they just came out years later and they go, yeah, he actually had this plan where he was going to end all Jedis, but like he just kind of fucked it up really badly. Yeah, he just forgot. <laughs> he just forgot. Like he just kind of forgot his mission and then he just saved everyone. I don't, it really, he really messed it up. He still feels bad about it in his little Jedi <laughs> afterlife. You shouldn't bring it up around him. He's really good. <laughs> he, gets, he gets really awkward about how he just really fucked it up. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's a better theory than like Jar Jar being a Sith Lord. To be oh, honest. dude, actually, I don't know. I, I was, dude, I, I was, I was all in on that one. It's a good theory. I just think it's like re- oh, remarkably stupid, like in in abstract, right? Just the mm-hmm. fact that Jar Jar, right? Jar Jar. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, I heard that the theory was like a big part of the theory was that um, that that was what was intended, mm-hmm. but then when Jar Jar showed up on TV, everyone hated him so much that they just, they just missed it. Said, really? We're not going down that route. Like, 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 because literally after that first movie came out, everyone was just like, oh my god, Jar Jar Binks is the most annoying character ever. And like, hmm, yeah, maybe we uh, cut this huge part of the plot. Cause and just shifted around. This was like, George Lucas originally was like, this dude is so cool. People are going to fucking love this guy. <laughs> when his ears flap around, people think that's cool. Yeah, he's, it, you know what's funny? He's probably like, he's like, and he's going to be annoying and stupid, but then in the end, he's super evil and really smart. And then, and he, but then he really misunderestimated, he really underestimated how stupid he came across. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude. That's a great plan. Yeah. I mean, dude, I watched this video that was, it was pretty, like, he, they had this, I mean, you know, conspiracy videos are always pretty compelling because of the way they <laughs> cut them together. But yeah. they had this one where they talked about George Lucas, like, he was kind of referencing Jar Jar as, like, the actual Sith Lord. And then they showed, they showed these cuts where Jar Jar would, like, make these jumps. And then he would do a, basically, like, the force save, like a force landing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, how Jedis can just, they can fall any distance and then just like cushion themselves the last second. Yeah. yeah. Or like Sith can do that. So they have videos where they're like kind of show that the Jar Jar is like doing that or doing some crazy jump or like doing these kind of weird things. And then all of that goes away though in the second movie of the, or in uh, episode five, like it, like, it, like all these things that, that he was doing that could like arguably be to a, a Sith went away in the next movie. Well then, well then there's also the scene where he like goes back to his home town or like place or whatever and they don't want Jar Jar there mm-hmm. and they're like well you think it's because he's a bumbling idiot but like that's not what they're saying it's not what these guys are saying and it's clear that Jar Jar uses a Jedi mind trick to placate these people once he gets there because mm-hmm. when they first shows up it's like they aren't not welcoming him back because he's an idiot and like 
has right. just been a dumbass and everything up. It's because it's because he's an evil Sith Lord. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm in. I'm all yeah. in. Which is just that's so much more interesting. I want like a fan. Well, I don't want fan. Fan fiction usually bad, but I want George Lucas to come back and just be like, finish that story or like write a book or something. Like, what if this happened? You know, like, yeah, that would be that'd be kind of sick. I wonder if there, that exists. There's so many books. There are a Dude, ton of books. Have you guys seen that documentary on Netflix that's like follows the flat Earth people and like as they do all these experiments to prove that the earth is flat no no it's amazing it's amazing because uh they they conduct these experiments which are amazing conspiracy experiments like they're like perfectly conducted and so this one where they get you get like a really flat spot of land right and it's like the middle of the night and they shine a laser through and they like stick these fence posts up like 15 feet in the uh, in the air or whatever then they calculate the distance to the next fence post, right? And they say, mm-hmm. well, if the earth is curved, then our laser should hit on this point of the fence post because um, of the amount of curvature that should have traveled, like that mm-hmm. should be uh, between this fence, like one fence post and the other, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so they do this experiment and it hits exactly where the, like it's supposed to hit if the earth is curved. And they all go, <laughs> we, we must have not done the experiment right. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, you guys just proved it. Like, That's yeah. great. So it's like, this is like really incredible. Oh okay. God, I got no, so. Yeah, go ahead. I, I mean to like go two things in a row, but I was watching this like, uh, it was like a Vsauce video or something like that. And they're talking about how like, uh, so like the, there's like prevailing knowledge that like when Columbus sailed, um, well, people think like, you know, that like Columbus was trying to prove the earth was round. Right. Where, where like, I was like reading, it was like, actually the common belief was that the earth was a globe, by like Columbus's time. And mm-hmm. it'd been the common belief for like an extremely long time mm-hmm. before then. But one of the best experiments I heard was, uh, he had – there was a uh, scientist, I think he was in, like, South America, um, or, like, it was, like, way back. Like, he was, like – it was, like, more like the Mayans or Incans or something like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. they made this discovery, like, around the world. Mm-hmm. They measured the uh, – he measured shadow lengths at the exact same time of the day for different objects at mm-hmm. um, that were, like, 200 miles apart. Mm-hmm. And because he – because he, he showed a no, it was a video with Carl Sagan was like talking about this, mm-hmm. um, and basically, if you have a flat surface and the sun is at the same angle, right, you're gonna have the same shape shadow for no matter how far apart they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but if you have a curved Earth, it's like these will be like drastically dis- distant, and you can actually calculate the curvature of the Earth based on the length of these shadows and the distance mm-hmm. apart of the two objects. Mm-hmm. And so he does this and calculates calculates the circumference of the Earth to like within like a couple thousand feet Jeez. wow yeah no and this is like two thousand years ago yeah and to measure the distance between the towers he like he literally paid somebody to pace it like a hundred <laughs> miles he just like what yeah oh my god Dude, Sorry, i love this what'd you say where was this so i uh, it was a carl sagan video um 
Oh yeah, just, like what nationality? Because it's one of those Mediterranean countries that did this, right? Like yeah, it might have been Europe. Um, I thought I thought it was South America. Oh, South America. All right, America. so he said, oh, it was the ancient Greeks that did it. They, yeah, they yeah. knew the they knew the Earth was around and calculated circumference over two thousand years ago. That's so cool. There was something crazy in the Mediterranean back then. My God, like the Egyptian empires and like the Greek empires. It was just, mm-hmm. that place must have been so like good for life. It's crazy to think of how those, I don't know, so many empires mm-hmm. flourished just right in that area. It's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Yeah, the, like basically the modern world formed yeah, right, around yeah. the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's, like, pretty, it's really cool. Have you guys read Ishmael? No. no, I've heard about it. Would, I've not read you it. You would really like it. It's like the story of Earth's agriculture and how it developed um, from the Fertile Crescent and like sort of how that changed how we interact with each other and have societies. I don't know. I don't want to give too much away, but you should definitely so, read it. Okay. it is, this like, to that. is this like, okay, because <laughs> the only other reference I've heard for Ishmael was by that one, uh, the one guy who we had at the fraternity who was convincing us that there's an Illuminati. And Wait, he referenced Ishmael as like an outing, <laughs> like this guy outed the Illuminati or something, and then they what? killed him. So is this? So, but you're saying Ishmael is like a legit? It's like an actual legit book that's like has, it's like legitimate information. It's not like a conspiracy thing. So it, it, no, it's Ishmael is a is a fiction, is a work of fiction, but it it lays down a theory of what happened oh. when agriculture developed, and so like it's not like it's making any. It, is, it doesn't describe anything that needs historical accuracy. It's just saying, like, you know, we started agriculture in the Fertile Crescent. Because mm. of that, I have this theory, sort of. So mm. it's not trying to be, like, historically accurate. It's not, like, a nonfiction book. Um, oh. And it's told through a Socratic dialogue with a gorilla. So it's definitely not meant to be <laughs> <laughs> taken too seriously. <laughs> okay. But it's fantastic. I would still highly recommend it. Yeah, I don't know who. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. Who was the Illuminati guy? In so we had a a grad bro come come through a fraternity, and everyone <laughs> that I talked to that was his era said he was like one of the smartest people they knew. Like this guy, I mean, he's like really freaking smart. And he said he was at Oregon State. He said he was visiting because he was meeting with a mathematician at Oregon State to because uh, he'd. Because he thinks he had cracked the Da Vinci Code. Oh, wait, I remember this, dude. And it was amazing. Like we dude. went to the like we like gave a presentation to the fraternity about this thing, and it was like I mean it was pretty fun. And then and then Reno and I go to uh, Reno and I and uh, Peter uh, Halajian go to uh, go to uh, like grab a, some beers with this guy at uh, ADP where they got like you know they got the paper on the table and the crayons too. Oh and yeah. And we're like and we're like. And we're just like diving into this thing for like two or three hours. I'm like so convinced on all these theories and like we're drawing. He's like drawing all these circles and stuff and we're like <laughs> connecting all these things. And at the end, it was like all of a sudden, and then like all of a sudden, I was like, oh shit, dude, that's the Illuminati eye. Yeah. And I like draw this eye on the table and we're all like, oh my god, like this is it, this dude. Is and we believed we it. Not seen this? Dude, I, bl- I believed it as if I believed that the sky's blue, dude. I was so in. I was all in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Reno and I were, like, talking to each other the next day. They're like, Reno's like, yeah, 
You know, man, I've uh, been thinking about this morning, and I think we might have just been a little bit caught up last night in the conversation. <laughs> it's a win-win, though, right? Because you get the awareness the day after, but then the night before you get the excitement, you know? No, yeah, it was fun, man. We were discovering the secrets of the world. Dude, the best part, <laughs> here's, so what, cool, here's but... what made me realize it was all bullshit. Was I, uh, I was talking to my ex-girlfriend at the time, Jenna, and um, she, like, I was, like, describing this stuff, like, kind of the same, same stuff he was saying. She was, like, she just like looked at me and she goes, This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And then like would like ask more questions about it. And then I just slowly started to realize as I myself went to explain these things <laughs> that it was absurd. Dude, he literally he described not his coolest his coolest description, which Jordan Peterson has a better description, I think, of what a dragon is, but he did make this point that really got me with what a dragon is. He said that basically, since there's been an agrarian culture where we basically at some point we're hunter-gatherers and then some people decided, you know what, I'm going to grow food. And then they, then there was basically a battle between them. You know, there's like a battle between uh, the agrarians and the um, hunter-gatherers, basically. And so the hunter-gatherers turned into barbarians. The barbarians would always attack these villages. Um, and, and, and I don't know why I believe this, because even barbarians, like, like people call other people barbarians when they come in and wreck their town. But those people who wrecked the town could also have their own farms. <laughs> they just right. wanted your shit. But basically, <laughs> and he said, um, what's it, what do they use? They use arrows. They use fire. They don't, they can travel rapid distances. And so he's like, think about a dragon. It's got an arrowhead for a tail. It's got, uh, it breathes fire, which is just chaos. And then it uh, has wings so that it can fly um, like vast distances really quickly. Hmm. And I was like, I just, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> and he's yeah, like, that's it's... why there's dragons all like the, the myth of a dragon is so prevalent across the entire globe. Like everyone has their own kind of dragon. It's because of this consistent battle that everyone experiences across the globe. Not That's really interesting. Was. I feel like a lot of those things come from stuff like that, right? If not like that specifically, then like, I don't know. Like, or sort of like another example is like sailors and mermaids. Like, how the fuck did that appear? Well, there's a tons of, tons of fish around and they never see mm-hmm. women. So like, <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just a byproduct of like seeing the same thing over and over. You create a mythology around it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, like, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense that we would think like marauding bandit tribes are just dragons. Yeah. It's just like how it becomes represented because it's like uh, uh, Carl Jung talks about this a lot. Well, actually, in his, there's a chapter he has on in Modern Man in Search for Soul about primitive man and how it's like he talks about how like literally these people took one dreams and two use symbols for everything, right? So the first premise he argues is that okay, so dreams are basically. One theory about dreams is it's like the way for the two hemispheres of your brain to communicate, right? So you have the subconscious that doesn't really have this verbal communication ability. So dreams are like this is what Jung believed, which he he was like one of Freud's pupils, you know, but he kind of disagreed with uh, Freud on what dreams were because Freud thought dreams were like a riddle that you were supposed to figure out and were like deliberately not were ambiguous, whereas Jung Mm -hmm. believed that dreams were your subconscious best way of explaining these observations and patterns and notice in the world. Um, but they with only through like a visual medium. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you go back to primitive cultures, it's like they took their dreams 
like, you know, like basically as like visions. And so, um, and you know, there's some, there's some truth to dreams being just wildly representative of your life. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I've done a lot of dream journaling. There's like things like I'll like have dreams. Um, like for instance, recently, uh, uh, I had a, uh, family member that really wanted to get a dog and it was just like I just was really opposed to this family member getting a dog right just it's just going to be everybody else's responsibility and I just am worried about her capability to take care of the dog and all this stuff but it's like not my choice you know and then like like later that week I had a dream where this person was like driving a car we were like going on a road trip together and this person was driving the car and I said, hey, get out of the front seat. I'm going to drive the fucking car. And you're not driving the car. And they wouldn't let me drive the car. And I was like, huh, that's – this, like, is so parallel to the conversation we just had. And, yeah, that's really So it's like, that's you know, it's not literal. Like, it's not the little things happening, but it's like – it's definitely really accurate to the interaction I just had with that hmm. person, you know. Mm-hmm. And so people way back when, they – they wouldn't, they wouldn't treat these as like abstract things that aren't true. It was like, you know, they didn't really have science, but it's not like what they were doing wasn't true. It was just articulated in a different way. So it's like, that's why, you know, stories were so important and like we express the truth of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes when we yeah, look back yeah. on those things, we go like, Oh, this story is like, especially with like biblical stories, like, Oh, th- like biblical stories or, you know, stories about the dragon and stuff. They go, Oh my God, this is so absurd. And it's like, well, it is absurd if you take it literally, mm-hmm. but it's not so absurd yeah. when you look at the um, implications this would have if you analyze it the same way you analyze like a dream or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Greek mythology is really heavy on that. It's all like natural stuff, you know, explaining earthquakes, explaining every, explaining the sun. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like the Bible is so much more like they take on different things different like subjects in their symbology you know like the bible is like dealing with like complex moral codes Mm -hmm. and stuff and like they do do natural like you know they explain some of the natural stuff through through god but some of them some of the lessons are really obscure (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and in a a way that i feel like the dragon like i don't know maybe there's like different uh like uh eras you know like very early stuff that really is just describing you know greek mythology ancient um asian mythology has a lot of this like explaining natural phenomena stuff Mm -hmm. and then like it became more about like abstract uh philosophical concepts it feels like Mm. i don't know it just the bible seems so much more abstract Mm -hmm. than (laughs) than any of the other mythology i i actually i actually really agree with that when especially when you say like um that the bible has like some of the stories are so abstract, it's hard to like figure out what they're supposed to, te- to teach you, <laughs> and you, and yeah, then you start to yeah. take it like literally. Killing your son, yeah, yeah, killing your son to do something. I still don't understand that one completely. It's like you should believe in God, but not that much, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's a, that one was. Weird. I think yeah, I, I didn't get that one. The one that I've that I feel like I had the best understanding of, and my, most of all my understanding of the Bible comes from the biblical series by Jordan Peterson. Like actually all of my understanding comes from that. Mm. <laughs> and I'm actually trying to find a church right now where they kind of, they read the Bible as they are stories that are trying to teach you moral lessons. Cause I would love to listen to someone who studied the Bible and like actually talk about that, but not one where I go in and they're like taking it too literally. 
if you take it too literally, it's that's not yeah, really. Yeah. I don't. I believe I don't like that. This stuff is not meant to be taken literally, but it's a series of parables. But the one yeah, exactly. I thought was the best explanation um, was the Adam and Eve story of how basically if you if you look at the story less literally and you think of it as what it's like to grow up as a child and your fall from like quote grace makes more sense and like the basic concept oh, i'm probably gonna yeah. fuck it up and uh jack you can help me wherever i fuck it up at but basically as a child you are not self-conscious whatsoever and you live in eden like everything is perfect like it's a tiny little baby you just live everything is perfect you like everything is provided for you all your food you have people to take care of you there's nothing to worry about you have everything you want in abundance and like little kids they're not self-conscious like they don't they're not worried about they're naked like they, they don't even conceptualize it that it's weird that they're naked. And then at some point you get yourself, you get your, you become self-conscious, which arguing that scientifically, that's when your default mode network or your DMN, which is in charge of your, your ego, your self-consciousness, that starts to develop and then you become self-conscious. And that's what they talk about in Adam and Eve stories. Eve eats the apple, gives the apple to, um, to Adam. And then the first thing they do is they put on their, like, cover themselves up, cover up their genitals because they're self-conscious. And then they have to leave Eden because they are no longer in, um, like, it's no longer perfect. And so that lesson where Adam and Eve is basically the story of a fall from grace and growing up as a child, I was like, that makes so much more sense than as if that were literally true, <laughs> But it's hard but unless someone, yeah. but before someone explained yeah. it, I was like, I don't know what lesson I was supposed to get. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. I never thought about it that way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then to like kind of extrapolate on that story too, it's like that idea of self consciousness is represented a lot as like uh, the duality of, of, man, of man and kind of what distinguishes man from every other animal, you know? Like, uh, like, um, it's a really interesting thing that, you know, you can debate with yourself, right? Like you can literally sit there and when you're think making decisions, you can have a back and forth. You'd be like, well, this is what I really want to do. But like, should I do this? Like, is this right? You can also make actions and be like, oh, fuck, that was wrong. And it's like, that's not, it's really kind of unique to humans in a sense where, you know, like a dog just goes around and just does dog things. It doesn't really consider like the moral consequence of its actions. It's just a dog. Like a dog kills a rabbit, not eat it. Nobody thinks a dog's like immoral. It's just being a dog, right? But like, mm -hmm. the man has this ability to like, like you have this duality of yourself where you have like this, basically, you know, you have this subconscious that's there and it's like constantly telling you things, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of what you're, almost like what you're uh like it's almost like you, it's almost like you're uh like you know you know your moral conscious that like tells you when something you're doing something wrong you know it's like this thing like speaks to you it's like where does that come from those thoughts or those feelings like where do those derive and how do they start and it's like how is it possible that like you know that, like so many people like I mean, pretty much everybody, you know, there's this like internal war with yourself of like, how do I approach life and what's right and what's wrong and how am I going to be fulfilled and satisfied? 
Whereas like, and it's just like, it's unique to humans. Like animals just don't, they don't have that internal conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. kind of like the fall from grace is it's like self-awareness where you become aware of the implications of your actions and like have this like knowledge and ability to like consider the bigger picture um, of your choices. And it's like to get back to Eden, so to speak, it's like you would get those two parts of your um, like the two parts of your psyche, like in alignment where you have like where your decisions are congruent with your being, so to speak. It's a really hard concept and I feel like I'm not making any sense, but um, it's no. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Like the concept of just self-reflection as being like an integral part to how we work and how we function. Yeah, exactly. And then like um, being able to identify the things that you do that um, are, that work against each other. Like, for example, last night I, like, uh, or not last night, two nights ago, like I'm trying to exercise more and get in shape and stuff. But then at the same time, you know, Friday night rolls around, I want to like party a lot. And so it's like those two things, me getting in shape and me wanting to party a lot. There's like two parts of my being that like conflict because when I go out on a Friday night and I party a lot, it completely fucks up my next day. And I, my, I end up hung over all day and then my apartment ends up a mess and like I'm falling behind all these responsibilities of life. Whereas like if you were to be able to get your being more in alignment, it's like y- you would have less things that, f- that you do that throw your life into disarray. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if like, if I wonder if Peterson, does Peterson talk about like how this concept of create, like humans getting that ability is, is maybe the Adam and Eve story, the, like, the story of, like, the human development itself, you know? Like, not necessarily, like, it's an analogy for growing up, but, like, it's that moment when human development gave us the ability to do that. Yeah, it's way more Does on that, that regard. Mm-hmm. He's not actually thinking, yeah. like, there's two humans that were there, and then the apple. Like, it's, it's way more, I, like, one term he uses, he says, I like to look at the biblical stories through the lens of evolutionary biology. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Cause that's right. Isn't it? Like there was a you're, you, this is exactly right. Like there was a time or not like a moment, but like a time when we transitioned into having more self reflection on things. And like, we needed a story to like describe that. I, I absolutely think so. I mean, they, they talk about this book. I read a thing is called sapiens. It's like the history of humankind, but they talked about what made humans successful with storytelling and also sticking in groups. And so, um, I could see that becoming the case, like you're saying, if, if you look at it through evolu- evolutionary biology, through an evolutionary biology lens, then you could, it, it w- I think it would make more sense, especially someone who is science minded, you know, where you're just a little bit more analytical, more logical. I think it makes more sense to our brains in that way. If you think of it as a story of evolutionary biology, but yeah. Which makes the ending even funnier. I don't, have you guys read the chapter after that in the Bible? It's like the second one after Genesis. Exodus? Uh, yeah, the Exodus, one where it's like... Yeah. Is it, is, so Exodus is the one where it's just like descriptions of lineage for like 30 pages, right? That's still in Genesis, where it's, I think. That's still in Genesis? Okay, yeah. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I thought that was like the funniest 
That's the funniest thing in the Bible. <laughs> I think it's fucking hilarious. I think it's so funny that, like, you make the point that, like, they fall from grace, right? It's really obvious that they fall from mm-hmm. grace. And then there's, like, just centuries <laughs> of them losing lifespan mm-hmm. because of their, like, sin. You mm-hmm. know, they, like, keep getting younger and younger when they die. Yeah. It's, it's so fucked up. It's like, oh, my God, I get the point. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> just really hammering that one home. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, like, yeah, they talk about it where they're, like... You know, I don't know how many generations Noah was away, but he lived 400 years. And then Abraham, he lives like 160. He's, you know, a few more generations from that. Yeah, so they don't all <laughs> yeah, live as long. Yeah, like, yeah. they're really belaboring the point. Dude, I remember oh, when I started reading the Bible, uh, I was – which, by the way, I have not gotten that far. It's 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 tough to get through. That's a dense motherfucker. It's dense, that's, man. It's dense. And the language isn't always, like, easy to understand. Like, I got to reread a lot. But um, my roommate, so he's, uh, he's, I think he's Christian or something like that. So he grew up having the Bible read to him and reading some of it. Anyway, he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, you're gonna get to a part in Genesis where it's just names for like 13 yep. pages. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the funniest best. Where, like, there's some really weird stuff in the Bible, but that one's just like, why did this get named? Why was Methuselah mentioned? Like living to 666 years old or whatever it is. It's a weird passage. But it's but it like makes you so cuz you know the Bible is like is just a it's not like one person wrote the Bible, right? It's like a collection of stories yeah. from mankind. And so it's like it's so interesting to see what parts of the Bible have endured for I mean, you're talking about the Old Testament for 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like right. that that people wanted to keep that information in there. And so it's like yeah. and so it's like, you know, it's hard to it's hard to it's really difficult for me to dismiss parts of the bible like like because yeah. it's like you know it's like been it's been the one of the fundamental texts to drive the force of humanity for, for the, including the old testament for five thousand years that's a long mm-hmm. that's a long time so regardless if really? the, 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 regardless of the actual truth of the bible you can't deny that um the influence of it has been like like there's a lot you can understand about humanity if you can at least understand how the interpretations have existed throughout the years yeah totally yeah i didn't mean to knock that past no no but it's like, funny it's, though it is no it's yeah, not, it's, it is, uh, it no is just there's like, <laughs> there's definitely meaning there that i haven't found yeah same no, <laughs> yeah, yeah you know i'm not sure about the meaning of the names i think it might just be them being like and then a lot of time passed <laughs> You know, but they can't just maybe, say that. But, but they get younger. They just get young. And I feel like there's like, I don't know, maybe that is just they become less holy, less divine. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's got to be some some interpretation in there that like explains why that passage is so important. Maybe. Maybe not. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that. that text has been analyzed more than anything else. I'm sure there's been some. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's someone <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah. Who, uh, who knows certainly. something. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, what's what's hard is sometimes people talk about the Old Testament and they say uh, like, oh, it's like the Old Testament is the historical piece, and the New Testament is more of the um, more of the like moral lessons. But then I have a hard time with that because cause there is like at least I've heard, I've heard anyway that the, the Old Testament kind of follows a realistic timeline, like so, uh, like a bit of it is historical. You know, like the Jews yeah. really did leave Egypt and they have the name like Ramses was Ramses the Great was in there and everything. And so like part of it's historical. It's and that's yeah. I think that's I think that's what makes it so hard for people to separate it from is this literal or not? 
because some of it like watch imagine you watch the movie and they go some of this is based on historical facts and some of this is just absolutely fiction that is meant to teach you a lesson but then they never changed they never told you when that happened it'd be really confusing right. you'd be like is this a real story because there are dragons in it but then there's a scene where like it was actual history so i don't know how yeah. do i take this yeah. movie <laughs> There should be like an annotated version where it's like this part is true. Yeah, that'd be, actually that'd be but hilarious because it, it said like this part's true and it shows like one percent <laughs> of the Bible is highlighted. Yeah, <laughs> they got like one. Name, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. There was a guy Moses. Yep, that part's correct. <laughs> so one of my favorite uh, abstractions that Jordan Peterson gave out of the Bible is the uh, idea of God as the Father, and. Uh, and he, again, this is like through the lens of evolutionary biology. And he talks about, it's like, okay, so how did you learn? How did you learn how to be right? Like, well, it's like primarily you're primarily for most people, your primary driving force of how you're growing up and how you're taught to interact in the world is like through your father. Right. And not just your father. Well, I mean, your parents. Right. So, but not just your parents, but like pretty much everybody else that came before you in the world. Right. Like all these people that take this role, of the father like in your life right and so if you're growing up figuring out like what if you're a dude figuring out what manhood means and like you you pick out all these male role models that you like and you kind of imitate what they're doing and that's the exact same thing that all these people that you're imitating that, that's what they did as well right and so you can stretch that back to the beginning of time so in some essence when you're like figuring out when you're abstracting like what manhood is you're in extracting what it means to be like a father yourself. It's like you're fat, you're, you're following the pattern of the pattern of fathers across time. And that's kind of how Jordan Peterson describes like that. Like for him, that's like, like that's like, he's saying that's like one way to conceptualize God is like this, like, um, like the, basically the driving force of humanity across time and the patterns that we followed since the beginning of, our existence you know do you yeah, see i'm saying there and it's like huh yeah. like that's because that is something for sure that's like bigger than any of us right and it's like very easy yeah. to conceptualize and it's not like mystical or anything like that it's like oh whoa that actually makes sense it's like the same argument as what you guys are talking about sapien species making right how it's like it's the ability to share stories over long periods of time yeah to like to like give lessons it's like shared knowledge that's just what that is mm -hmm. right like just uh, creating a pool of shared knowledge over a long period of time mm -hmm. I and having like a symbol i think Jordan peterson I, if i'm reading this right is having a symbol for that shared knowledge or that like shared learning yeah and i would really recommend because he is the it's it's all on uh, podcast. I mean, it's all on YouTube, but it's also all, all on Apple Podcasts. But it is like like all the um, like he does a question like a Q and A at the end of it, and so many people are the cute people in the Q and A are be like, look, I've been atheist my whole life, or I've been you know never never believed in God to any capacity. But it's like I started listening to your lectures like on a whim, and I'm like this is this is just enthralling to me. This is so much information about life and humanity that you are mm -hmm. able to derive from these stories. And it's like, it's completely changing my perspective on the Bible and mm -hmm. Christianity as a whole. And not like, because it's, he, he makes it in a way that's like, 
oh shit, this isn't some weird abstract thing where I'm praying to a deity that's just like completely on faith or like some abstract thing in the sky. It's like, whoa, he makes it very tangible. And I don't even know if he's really like like Christian. He's just like, he just likes studying texts and stuff. Like, so it's like, um, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very, uh, it's very eye opening, and it's, I really recommend anyone listen to it, especially if, um, especially if you, you know, you really are not into the idea of God at all. It's like, it's, it's definitely a new perspective. That's, I think, I, um, yeah, I, mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I think the way he describes it is you don't, you don't need to be religious to read the Bible. Basically, how is how he describes it. Like, you don't have to be, yeah. consider yourself religious. You can just, use this for the lessons that are in it and realize what it is, which is a text of stories and parables. I was like, well, that's awesome because the stories and the parables are really well written. But I think what, right. for me, they got muddled in like organized religion, which I don't know, I'm kind of an independent guy. So I get kind of nervous sometimes around like when we're all just really believing a thing, I get kind of nervous. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, we're all pretty down with this. Well, you know, God controls all thing, but, it's a little weird. Like right, I had, right. for instance, I met a guy in high school who he was, he was, he was extremely, I mean, he was as religious as you can get, like full on believed in like God, you know, God is real and I'm going to go to heaven and then I'll be like, God's slave. That's basically what he said. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. He's like, I'm just so excited that when I, you know, when I die, I go to heaven and I become like a slave for God. What? And, yeah. And I was like, wow. Okay. I've never heard that one before, but I was like, yeah. Does God want uh, can you extrapolate a little bit, please? Yeah. I was like, there's some more explaining to do. I asked him, I was like, <laughs> I was like, so do you want to be a slave now? And he goes, Well, no, absolutely not. I'm like, well, what's different about is he gonna treat you well? Like, does God want slaves? Does he want right. billions and billions of slaves? Or I I don't know. That that interpretation, I was like, that is whack. Like that's that's where I was like, dude, that's like that's the most ridiculous thing. Like to me, that sounds just like it's just most made up, almost useless description. I don't know. I was like, well, okay, right. well, like it sounds like you're just guessing. You're like, well, I think there's a thing, and when I die, I'm gonna go to a place and serve that thing. But it just well, it's, it's sad. Uh, that's like your 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 synthesis. You know, like you you I don't know. You get indoctrinated into this religion, and then you learn that that's like that's the end game. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Mm-hmm. That's I don't think people will just naturally come to that position. Right? <laughs> I feel like you have to get introduced to that as a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, some people might fall into that naturally. I'm talking about like extreme forms of religion mm-hmm. of, you know, of just believing what, what the end game looks like. Yeah. I don't know. That's really disappointing and sad that it, we allow like, I don't know, parents to just tell their kids that, yeah, you're going to become God's slave. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on so there? So I found out, he told me years later that he's gay. And so the slave thing, I don't know, maybe that's like a, maybe isn't. Ooh, so, so he's kind of out of the God slave thing now. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe something. God's got a kinky side, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you go to the Methodist, I can see that. the Methodist church, you know, they're kind of, they accept everybody, you know, like they're like, Everybody, they're just everybody's going to heaven, baby. <laughs> the Methodism, Is that Methodism? Yeah, that rocks. Yeah, Methodism, dude. Know. Methodism, they're great, dude. They accept gay people. They accept everybody. Like they fly gay flags outside of their church and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. they're great, dude. They all, they're all for everybody. Which, if I was a religion and I was trying to start something, I would absolutely accept everybody. 
I'd be like, yes, <laughs> everybody come to my church. I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> like, it's a good missionary tactic, isn't it? Like, I accept everyone. I don't care. Like, just get the numbers up. Man. Yeah, exactly. Let's go, go, go. They're like, well, like, I want to join a church, but, you know, I can't because I'm gay. I'm like, I'm just sitting here. I'm just, like, looking at my rules, and I just cross out the do not allow gay people sign. I go, you know what? You're in. Just come on into my yeah. church. I need more members. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... No religion. Have I'm you guys heard of a? Have you heard of non-theistic Quakerism? I think that's what the name is. No, no. it's it's like oh, so in Corvallis we had a I think we had a chapter in Corvallis because um, there was a sign on one house that I would walk by that said uh, uh, what is it called? It's like I call the House of Friends. You might see those signs somewhere. Mm-hmm. And like it's so it's they don't believe in a god. They just believe that we should all love each other and look out for each other and be kind to each other. And it's like, I don't know, it's just the coolest religion I've heard of. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, there's no, there's no end game. There's no thing that we're interested in. Mm-hmm. Just looking after each other. Yeah. That seems nice. That seems really nice. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I thought for a long time, um, I wish there, I love the idea of a church if it wasn't religious. Like, I thought that for a long time where I was like, yeah. I would love, I would just, I would just, I would absolutely participate in and go to. It's just basically a community center where we all came together and then we just had a conversation about philosophy, morals, and just how to go operate life. And then also, you also support your local members. So it's like, yeah, you know, Jill, she's really old and their house is the paint's chipping. So we're trying to get some people to go this Sunday or next Saturday and paint her house. Like, is anybody in? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I can help paint, you know, just like a community center where everybody gets together and like, like it all sounds great and then and then it gets to the part where they're singing songs for jesus and i'm like all right <laughs> i can't <laughs> I so so it's like what you're describing is is i think really difficult to conceptualize one uh, primarily because it's like if you get a group of people together that are discussing philosophy and maybe different religious texts it's like that group is going to come together and they're going to create a fairly specific value structure toward like as time goes on mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so then like as your value structure becomes more and more defined as you continue to have these conversations it's like you're gonna start i just to me it seems like after any extended period of time it would just start to look like any other church or religion um yeah and so it's like because that's that's primarily what it in my mind what it is it's like any religious group it's like the foundation is like a shared value structure right mm-hmm. and so it's like if you just have a group of people for extended period of time coming up with a value structure together then it just I, I don't know how you would have it not look like every other religion out there i mean your value structure would be different mm-hmm. but like but isn't that the whole point yeah. of this religions to find the best value structure that works across all mm-hmm. situations interesting and so, like, wouldn't have, it's exactly what you're doing anyway? I think that's that true. Is a good I think point. that if I were to design it, oh, sorry, Renee, oh, no, go for it. Uh, I think if I was designing, because I completely agree, I want this so bad. I've been thinking about going to um, the church down the road just for like the community service and just sort of skipping all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would be my answer is that um, to the problem of like, wouldn't this just become any normal set of like value creation community sort of thing with very strict rules? Is maybe just don't have the sermons. Like, that's the part I really don't like, the part where someone just stands in front and just talks for, you know, mm-hmm. a while. Just get rid of that part. Get rid of the, you know, just 
giving sermons to people and focus on community service, let people figure out their own values at their own time, and maybe just have the actual place be a place of congregation, Mm -hmm. not like analysis, maybe. Mm. Yeah, Uh, I see what you're saying. So like, basically, you you have the same, there's a section of it where like, Sunday for two hours or something or whatever it is, you just get together and you talk about morals. And so you come to whatever conclusion you want. And you and if I could if I could design it, it would be open to challenge all the time, and it would be open to change. Like we would be changing like the, the value structures and morals. These things are open to change if a good enough argument comes about. Like we would never shut someone down or yeah. shout them down and be like that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like this, we we yeah, came totally. together to create this value structure because we didn't you know we didn't like know how the world works necessarily we hadn't really written it down and so it's not like the first answer you know it's not like the answer that we're currently at is the best one because it's just the current most current iteration but yeah yeah totally if you could have it would be nice if that wasn't the primary concern Mm -hmm. you know it's like yeah it's something you do but it's not like why the church exists yeah exists for for helping people for you know making moves for getting people together to go do work together Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's true. sounding to me like you guys are heretics. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very heretical. Very heretical conversation <laughs> right now. <laughs> Blast Come at me, Francis. <laughs> There's um. Do, do y'all know the actual definition of uh? I think it's like a heretic, where like literally the definition is like you just don't. Was it that you just don't believe that God did everything or something like that? Or there's there's a word for just going against the way that everyone does something. Like it's literally the worst word uh, ever. I'll look up what it what it is. But there's a word for oh, just like is it blasphemy? Maybe it's blasphemy. It's like it's it's as if saying, "Listen, John, we're all walking through this water, and the fact that you're not walking through this water right now is just seriously pissing me off because we're all yeah, doing it. it this way." That's 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 heretic. The first definition is a person believing in or practicing a re- religious heresy. The second is, um, <laughs> yes, a person holding an opinion at odds with what is generally accepted yeah, it's literally the worst word ever it's like a person who is opposed to what is understood oh no sorry this, this is a similar word that is this is a that's a descendant no, I Not like, well if it says similar and then it says descendant and then that's the word that means a, yeah oh what? oh i see heretic defined on dictionary oh uh, dot com is what you just said. Oh, maybe that similar thing wasn't adding the new definitions. Oh, the similar, I think it's just like the synonyms, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I know, but it, like it was below the oh. word descendant is where I saw the definition. Yeah, okay. So that's heretic. Mm, is the... Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so anyway. Yeah, that's, that's a low bar. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking like when people are like, oh, like I used to think heretic, like you hear, you hear it in movies, it was like the most awful insult. And it's always in a religious capacity, you know? I was just thinking, and I read that definition. I go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, you're gonna to kill someone, like behead them. Like, dude, we all put we all put hot sauce on our tacos, man. I just the fact that you are not doing that is just it's making me question my own use of hot sauce, and I don't need that in my life. <laughs> this is interesting. Conflict. The word is the etymology of the word uh, comes from the Greek Greek word uh, like heretikos, which just means able to choose. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I wonder if that comes from Hera, the the wife of Zeus. Uh, that would surprise me. That sounds similar. They sound similar. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess she chose to keep the hearth going. She didn't really have it. That, I mean, maybe that's a bad example. Hera had like no choice. <laughs> she, her only job was to just stay by the hearth and keep the fire going. Is that what her job? Oh, really? I didn't. I haven't read much about. That's Hera. all she did. Really? Well, a lot of times yeah. things are named for like their opposite almost. Oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe. Dude, how would it? I don't know. How would it? It must suck to be Hera. Just your husband is just going out, yeah. turning into animals and raping people. <laughs> yeah, that's all he does. She was not happy. <laughs> she like, he's just that'd be so terrible. It'd be so annoying. Like, wow, you know, you're the most powerful being in the world, and you just turn into eagles and gooses and rape people. <laughs> like, what the yeah. fuck, man? I'm not, you know, I'm not turning was, into a cow was... and banging some twenty year old. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, Reno. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if I could, maybe the conversation would be different. <laughs> I don't. It, Hera, um, Hera was always like weird too because she never got mad at Zeus. I feel like, like she would get mm-hmm. mad at Zeus. If I remember, but like she would like actually like do something magical to the woman. <laughs> yeah, you know, just like totally ruin her life, like make her you know crippled or something. Mm-hmm. What the woman that Zeus, she, Zeus raped? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a. Yeah. It was. Those are some fucked up stories. I mean, I don't know. Greek morality was. They were trying to say something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think they were missing the mark a little bit. Though. Yeah. They. Uh. I know that she. I think she like would try and damn the children. Like Hercules. I think she tried to fuck him up or something. That's right. She would like. Right. Because they were born. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he existed. Is he was a physical form of her husband's. Uh. What, what's I don't know what you would call infidelity. it infidelity yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, yeah. but I mean but in reality you know there's truth to that in the world like that doesn't I mean that still exists like there's mm-hmm. many women that and men that play the role of Hera when um it's like if yeah if there's like a, like I mean you hear that a lot I mean you also hear a lot of positive stories about you know step parents being just like amazing parents to their kids but then you also you know, I mean, that's like, it's almost a trope, you know, you have one step kid and then, um, three real kids and <laughs> you just Even if, step I mean, kid like shit, you know, like, cause right. it's not yours. Cinderella. He's like, it's like, he, like he has the same mom as everybody else, but you're the dad. And it's just like, you just don't love that kid as much. Cause he's not yours. And he's a constant reminder of that. Your wife was with somebody before you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that's yeah. it's not a healthy way to look at it, but it's like I mean, shit. I've never been in that situation. I can't imagine it's necessarily easy to be to treat all your kid, all the kids equal when three of them and yours are yours and one of them's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I guess Greece. Yeah, they weren't going for like this is what you should do. It's more like this is a situation that does happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like step parents are just shitty to like certain kids because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, like you can't. I mean, I can't it's 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 like i mean it's really easy to foresee how that or like to conceptualize how that would be yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly well i think like the gods i think essentially it seemed like what they're trying to do is they're trying to describe human nature but i think what they're doing is they're separating it they make them gods almost to, to just to make just to make the logistics easier you know because <laughs> yeah th- hey, go ahead go ahead and finish oh that's basically that's what i think they're doing is they're describing human nature in, in these stories so that you like the kid that's hearing the story can like understand the general principles of life but then i think that they make them gods so that it, they can just kind of the logistics are like easier basically yeah i think i think the yeah. god thing makes it so it's like 
this isn't because if you tell a story about one man, it's like, oh, that was just that man's fallacy. But if you say it as God, it's like, oh, this is a, or this is a, like, this is a sin that's committed by mankind, not just that one guy we heard the story about. Like, it makes it, it makes it way more generalized. Like, yeah, if, I think that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like the hero, and it's the same for heroes for like, I guess heroes were just the, like, whatever, like, the son of gods. It's the same concept. It's, like, these people represent, like, uh, courage or, you know, mm-hmm. intelligence. It's all, like, archetypes rather than, like, literal people. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's what the Greek gods especially were. They were all archetypes. Like, yeah. Ares is, you know, war. Mm-hmm. Apollo is, like, beaming sunshine and illuminating things. Mm-hmm. It's all, you choose the right person for the right story because mm-hmm. they're not people. They're concepts yeah because they're not complex they're just one aspect of your personality and you just say what if this yeah, aspect got like to do whatever it wanted yeah yeah it yeah. makes it yeah. it just it's like yeah it's so much more it's so much easier to conceptualize these complex concepts when you can see them acted out in human form or human story you know mm-hmm. right yeah like yeah. a simple story that has like an outcome it's like oh okay yeah that's what happens and then it's moral... like oh you like I am part of all these gods, not just any one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they. Uh, so it's really cool about that the the book Sapiens, where they talk about story. Like he he describes stories as being like how we became so successful, and so he would describe it as if you know, you you as a human, you have this ability to listen to the story of another human, and almost feel like you're there. Like that's why movie, like when you watch a movie, your heart's racing or someone tells like a really interesting story or reading Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter and you're just like emotionally reacting to this, what are just words on a page, but you're just, we have this ability to hear or read a story and then like we can almost be there, you know, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. that's what they talked about is that they can, they, you can learn so much, so much quicker as a human because you can be there and really experience you can almost as close as you can to actually doing the thing you can experience the benefits and punishments of certain actions yeah which like thank god to that and a lot of extent it's like you don't have to make every single mistake for the rest of that humanity's made before you because they already made it Mm -hmm. and you can conceptualize the mistake now and don't have to make the mistake yourself Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was also kind of building on this shared knowledge. Was also kind of interesting with that book. Yeah, he goes, yeah. So before Homo sapiens showed up, there are actually five different kinds of humans, and they existed for two through to basically the longest one, the Homo erectus, lived for two million years. He goes, within about whenever Homo sapiens showed up, within about ten thousand, twenty thousand years, we had obliterated every other kind of human. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> he literally, he's, we're really good at that. Yeah, it's what he says. He goes, hey, he goes, also, there used to be giant horses and giant sloths. You know what happened to those? We ate them. <laughs> the only thing that survived was the thing that was small enough or fast enough that we couldn't catch it. Jesus Christ. But I mean, that is the story, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but like, think, think about how, okay, the two things. One, okay, think about your human and your hunter gatherer. And you come across a giant fucking sloth that can't move at all. It's just like, dude, <laughs> like this is food. This is food for my village. Yeah. It's not even running away. It's just still. It's yeah. like it wants to be eaten. 
It's such a score as a hundred. I'm not gonna be. Oh. I'm not gonna be worried about the existence of sloth. Sloss, if my alternative is starving yeah. to death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your conservation is your least of yeah. your concerns. Your and then also think yourself. about think about running into a like a human type species. You don't like you don't obviously you're not world traveled. There's no like books about the world or anything. Mm-hmm. Then you run across like a human type species that's very similar to you, but like also like some very clear differences. I'd be mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this devilry? Yeah. Like, I don't know how I'd react. It'd be like the first time I saw a monkey or something, you know? But, like, more developed than that. I don't know. Yeah, like, be... yeah, it'd just be like, fuck that thing, dude. Like, that thing is going to just... Like, I know how terrible I am, and that thing looks like it might be as terrible as me. So, I need to <laughs> they, uh, so they actually talk about how there are humans alive today that are still part Neanderthal. Because there's a little bit of cross, a little crossbreeding going I think, on. I, th- I thought it was like everybody had, like, a little bit. Um, I mean, like, from this book, all it mentioned was there's there's some people that do, and they're mostly in Northern Europe, because that's where okay. most of Neanderthals lived. But it could also be the true that a lot of people do. I don't know. But in the book, that's what he said, was that people in Northern Europe, and you can tell by the structure, like their face, their facial structure, like their brows are a little bit bigger, and then their, um, like their Joe Rogan's always out. saying, he thinks he's like, <laughs> Joe Rogan, what he's always saying, he's like, yeah, I feel like my ancestor was like, he was the guy that was like, hey, you know, what if we just fucked the monkey one last time? <laughs> he's like, I feel like I'm pretty close to that guy. <laughs> That's the last guy to fuck the monkey. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, That's good, dude. That's good. Yeah, honestly, man. I, my, here's my favorite part about him is like he, he goes, he'll respond like when people react to him, like take him super seriously. He just responds and he's like, guys, he goes, if you are listening to me for my political opinions, <laughs> like, yeah. you are so misguided. <laughs> like, I am an idiot. That's my favorite <laughs> thing he says. He's like, guys, I'm an idiot. Like, if you are looking to me for, like, how to operate your life, that's just go to the experts. <laughs> like, I'm just, he literally goes, I'm a comedian right. slash UFC announcer. <laughs> he's like, don't come to <laughs> me with your, you know, your political philosophy needs. I also love how uh, I love yeah. I love that he just buys into so many conspiracies. Mm-hmm. I just love that. Like, mm-hmm. like he's like a I don't know if he still is, but like for the longest time, just big time Bigfoot believer. And it's just like <laughs> I just love so, that. Uh, and it's like part of it feels like he just like wants it to be true. So, but he just like will tell you about. He'll just like start talking about Bigfoot, and it's just like fucking love it, <laughs> dude. And he's so in on aliens, so dude. Funny. He is so oh, on in. aliens, big time. Yeah, really <laughs> big time. But he makes good points. <laughs> He makes great points, and he legit, he he like it made this point where he kind of built a story. He's like he's talking about how aliens like came like they would uh, they came in like uh, intercepted basically what, whatever we were doing. Like they came in and got involved, and they're like, "Really?" He goes, "He goes, yeah." He's like, "Do you really think they came involved?" He goes, "In the '60s, I think they did." Because like when we're having, he's like, "These aliens come in, they're studying us as we would study like bonobos on Madagascar or something, a bonobos monkey or something on Madagascar," and. Uh, and he says they come in because we we finally had the weapons to destroy each other, and so they came in and like changed history. They're like I don't know what they did, but that's his theory, and I kind of want to. I'm just about it, dude. I just I think that'd be so sick. They're aliens. I'd like there to be aliens. 
I don't know. It seems more comforting if there's aliens. Space seems really scary if there's like no possibility mm-hmm. for travel. Dude, you should check out Scientology as a religion. That's a big part of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds comfort. I'm yeah. gonna Scientology. You just need you just need to be a multi-millionaire. Right. That's all you need. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can be poor. You just won't make it very high in the tiers. <laughs> right. Which is also worrying, you know? Like, what if I... I don't know. Do they have, like, an ultimatum? Is there, like, a day of reckoning for Scientologists? Like, what if I'm not, like, an upper tier by that moment? Yeah, the, I don't, know, I don't know what rapture's still. like for the Scientologists. It's gotta be crazy, right? Like, everything... <laughs> I don't know. All their origin stories are crazy. Do you, do, are you guys familiar with their, too. like, uh, what the, all their religion is based on? Like, the foundational texts? Didn't they get dropped off by space? Well, the book is no, like a comic book or something, isn't it? Like it's, do- it's a, it's just a science fiction. <laughs> <It> is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the 60s or 70s. No, but if you go to their website, they like it's not like they know who wrote it. It's not like a mystery. And they're mm-hmm. just like, yeah, these are these are our these are our foundational structure books and it's just like you can just go on the Scientology website and just like buy these scientific novels or science fiction oh my novels. God. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. It's a cute religion. It would be less. It would be more cute if they weren't like taking advantage. Yeah. Of people, but and also, like from everything I've read, it's like the one I'm most afraid of to like be on the wrong side of. <laughs> yeah. Are they violent probably. or something? Is that like? Is There's that just part a of lot thing? of conspiracies Those... about them, just like taking people out and shutting down anyone that opposes them, and then like. Jeez. Right. Don't they disappear? Yeah. People? people like disappear, and then um, it's like they have there's like an alarming number of very successful influential people that are Scientologists, like proportional to how many people are actually Scientologists. Wow. Right. See, I thought that was because they charge so much. So you have to be successful to even join it. Yeah. I don't know what the correlation is, but they still, but regardless of how they got these people in power, like, I don't know if I like, I don't know if the correlation is you join Scientology and then therefore you become successful or if like, Mm -hmm they attract the really successful people i think it's probably the latter but mm-hmm. they still have their uh like their their tentacles of influence still extend to these really high high powerful people regardless of mm-hmm. how they uh yeah got them there mm-hmm. yeah it works it doesn't matter yeah. really how <laughs> yeah there. have you guys watched the umbrella academy I've started it. I've only seen the first season. Okay. All right. Well, I won't spoil anything then. I was going to go on a whole point, but <laughs> there's, it's like, dude, oh, this man. is like yeah. three quarters <laughs> away from the second season. Like it would just, but anyway, that show oh, inside okay. note is really, really good. So I highly what's, recommend What's it about? So it's like a darker X-Men is like the concept. It's like, yeah, because yeah. so there's basically kids who have powers. And they're X-Men like, you know, it's like super strength, but they're kind of more creative. Like one guy can, he uh, can speak to the dead and he there's like more that comes from that, but all their powers are kind of, they're, I don't know. They're a little more unique. It's not all like flight and super strength and laser vision. Like, yeah. They're more like, yeah. they're like, they're not like ultimate powers or something. It's just like a, something that if you use it right is like pretty convenient in your life. Like, you know, you're not like Superman, but you, you can convince people of things pretty well or something like that's a power <laughs> It's like kind of making people believe, yeah, you, totally. you know, which that one actually is the most powerful. Cause yeah. <laughs> if you can make, you can change the world. If you can make anyone believe you, you know, dude, it's like the movie, the invention of lying, dude. Oh, what a, oh my yeah, God. It's, it's, it. 
the movie's the movie's very uh, in my opinion it's like it's a really great concept but the movie's like I don't know it's, I thought it was like the movie's like whatever but I love okay. the concept dude I thought I was all in right. man I love that movie beginning and end just the whole concept of it like I, it just dude I love that all it like Lucy Cade and everything in there which is funny to see Louis when he was uh, before he'd made it at all like he was just like really overweight and kind of a mess. But like, you know, not that he, yeah, he has no facial hair too, which is which was weird. It was a bad move. It was a bad oh, move. Hey, he needs to cover bad. that face up. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to cover it up with whatever he can. <laughs> but yeah, at the beginning of the movie, when like his like the first lie tell, tells you like walks into the bank, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Oh, he's like, oh, I need to withdraw some cash." She goes, "Oh, sorry, our system down. Um, how much money did you uh, want want to withdraw?" And he goes, "Oh, uh, ten thousand dollars." She's like, okay, here you go. And she goes, like, oh, the <laughs> system's back up, huh? This is weird. Your money, your uh, your account is saying that um, you only have four hundred dollars, but you said you had ten thousand dollars. He goes, uh, yeah, I did have ten thousand dollars. She goes, okay, I'll correct it in the system. Have a good day, <laughs> <laughs> dude. He like finds another one where he like walks out in the street when he's just playing around, and he just goes, turns to like this this woman or like beautiful, beautiful woman he can see or whatever, and just goes, ma'am. The world's gonna end if you don't have sex with me. And she just goes, "Oh my god!" She just calls up her secretary or whatever, and it's like, "Cancel all my meetings today." <laughs> she's like, "Where do we need to go? Do we need to do it right here on the sidewalk." He's like, "Uh, no, we can go to a hotel." She's like, "Well, hurry! I don't want the world to end." <laughs> oh god! And then, yeah, and then the, the fucking other scene when he uh, because he's like a writer, and all they do is like rewrite things of history, like every storyteller, and it's basically like, or like every writer, and it's like the good writers are just the ones that get the good stories from history. And then, like, he goes, I uncovered a new story that we hadn't heard before. And then he just, like, <laughs> makes up this ridiculous story. And then it just – he's the best writer. Yeah. Dude, and then his, his mom is, like, dying. This is this one this, – I guess one, one last scene. But his mom is dying. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so, I'm so scared. Like, it's just blackness. And that's the end. And he goes, no, Mom, it's all right. You'll go to a better place. She's like, What? It's <laughs> a, a better place because everyone immediately believes it. The concept is everybody's always telling the truth. And so, like, doctors are like coming over and be like, What? There's a better place? And he ends up creating like an entire religion. And he like, he writes down his like oh. scripture on two pizza boxes <laughs> and like comes out holding the two pizza boxes like he's Moses with the two stones. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. That's so dumb. It's right? great, it, dude. It's pretty, it's pretty. It's not. It's, it's good. It's a funny movie. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Dude. All right, hey, listen, we got brunch cooking cool. here. I think I gotta go. Perfect. Have a, well, thanks have a for house brunch. Uh, have we oh, been yeah. on long enough? Yeah, you guys. Right. Plenty of good well, stuff, dude. Madison, you were great, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks dude. for joining. Appreciate it. Always good oh, talking yeah. to you. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. You too. Yeah, I'll see you guys soon. I'm happy to be on. Heck yeah, love it. Thanks for that. All right. Talk to you later, dude. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the episode, you like the podcast, and you want to support it, find yourself on the way down to Patreon. Patreon is an app where you can support many different artists on there, and you can even become a VIP member. So check it out. Check out With Jack and Reno on Patreon, the greatest 
podcast, World's Best Podcast, and see if you want to support us. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.